with Nicholas Sherlock, welcoming you to the third episode of the Fight Sport Focus podcast. We're based out of New Orleans, Louisiana. We're the largest combat sport news and photography organization on the coast, covering everything local and beyond. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And don't forget to like and subscribe on Anchor.fm, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you could share this podcast, help spread the word. It would go a long way. In today's episode, we're going to look back at UFC Fight Night Smith vs. Rockic. We're going to talk about a few upcoming Gulf Coast events, and we're going to be joined by our first ever live studio guest, Joe the Party Penafiel is going to join us and talk about his upcoming matchup at the Atlas Fights Biloxi MMA Beach Bash. <clears throat> Lastly, we're going to look ahead to UFC Fight Night Overeem for Sakai this Saturday, September 5th from the UFC Apex Center. And we'll talk about the main card matchups and give our picks and predictions. We've got a full write-up on UFC Fight Night Overeem vs. Sakai on our website. If you want to head over and give it a read, We've also got a list of all the upcoming Gulf Coast combat sport events. So make sure to, that you don't miss out and visit us at www.fightsportfocus.com. Before we begin, let's talk a little bit about Sean O'Malley and everything he's been saying following his first professional loss to Marlon Vera. And we have to establish that Sean O'Malley is our second favorite O'Malley. You, so we were talking about this before we started recording. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe Seamus O'Malley, he's some Irish legend, and you told me it was... It's Thomas O'Malley, and he, you had no clue who Thomas O'Malley is. Not a clue, other than my ex-stripper, uh, okay, stripper and husband neighbor from Central City who would borrow my internet just to get it cut off, because when they get home from the strip club all mollied out... They would illegally download Disney movies, nice. in, including the aristocrats. So I would be over there in the morning banging on the door like, hey, guys, y'all got to delete That's this right. movie so this I can get on. And Thomas O'Malley, O'Malley, the alley cat. I honestly think o Thomas O'Malley would be shown in a fight, too. But that's just me. <laughs> so O'Malley, uh, obviously in that fight, looked like he hurt his foot. And at first, a lot of fans were saying it was a fluke win, an injury. Then Marlon Vera came out saying it was either a calf kick or a kick he checked that actually hurt O'Malley. Now, O'Malley has admitted that it actually was a calf kick from Marlon that deadened his foot and caused his ankle to roll there early in the rounds. Uh, O'Malley, dude, is not taking this loss very well. Recently, he took to Twitter and said, and I'm, I'm quoting O'Malley here, I got kicked on the nerve right here, Cheeto. Did he get lucky? Yeah. Did he win? Yeah. He kicked this nerve in my ankle. I had an ankle brace on. I had my coach loosen it up right before I walked out. I'm like, this shit's too tight. The nerve gave me drop foot. Then I sprained my ankle like four times. Did he win? Yeah. Am I undefeated? Yeah. Mentally, I'm 12 and 0. I didn't lose shit. I was dominating that fight. I felt superior in there until my foot gave. Nick. What's going on with Sean O'Malley, man? You think smoking all that reefer, it's messing with his brain or? I think he's starting to drink his own Kool-Aid, man. Like he got exposed and it, it happens at this high level. You get exposed and he needs to be thanking his stars that he was given Cheeto and they didn't give him somebody like Cody Gombrot who would have knocked him unconscious. If there's levels to this and the more you knock people out, with phenomenal stand-up. And I'm a Sean O'Malley fan. I love yeah, the kid. Yeah, me too. I had him winning that fight. But he came out. He got exposed. Cheeto won that fight 1,000%. Even if it wasn't a calf kick and you were just bouncing around and rolled your ankle. Something he did caused you to bounce that way. You rolled your ankle. It's the same uh, situation when people were trying to argue that uh, – Chris Weinman didn't break Anderson Silva's leg. It was off of a 1,000%. He broke he, his leg. He, he finished that fight. Yep. And it is what it is, Sean. I mean, he's going to calm down. He's got to say whatever he needs to say to himself to motivate him to get training, to get back in there, to come back in as that predator that he presents yep. himself to That be. mentality is so important, especially and for absolutely. a young guy like him. So I really don't buy into a lot of what these guys say on Twitter. I mean, it is what it is. You can talk and tweet all night long. At the end of the day, you have to fight. I think 
more than anything that all O'Malley's done here is erase all doubts that Marlon Vera won that fight. The foot injury, it wasn't a fluke. I don't think there was ever a doubt Marlon Vera won that fight. Man, you should have seen on the internet, that's uh, the diehard O'Malley fans. That's all they're saying is that we need an, an immediate rematch. That was a fluke. That was a, because nobody, I think knew. it was. I think it was a very quick stoppage. I think it was a bad stoppage. I think that Sean could have survived the round, and then round two we could have came out. But I mean, things like that happen in, in the fight game. I mean, you yeah, shouldn't have had yourself time. in that position to make that referee make that call. Sure. And before it was known exactly what happened to O'Malley's foot, we we didn't know that it was a calf kick that actually did in it. Maybe it could have been O'Malley coming in. For that, that faint and his foot gives out or something like that. Now that we know it's from the calf kick, because I mean, look, I mean, I'll, we didn't we didn't know what was going on. We know it was ACL and Achilles. Yeah. We, I mean, we didn't know what happened. We now just that know we that know it's from the calf kick, hurt, but it's from a calf kick. Even before we knew, I mean, it's a fight, right? And we can't. A lot of fans like to. A lot of fans like to put asterisks next to guys' wins, right? To, to wins that they have. It's safe to say now that to anyone who might have before, you can remove that asterisk from Cheeto's win. Right. He did. Oh, I don't I don't I personally don't think he ever had one. I mean, I don't think any guys get asterisks next to wins. I mean, you went out there on the highest level and you won. Yeah. Even if it was an injury caused entirely and then, by O'Malley himself. The biggest, the, did biggest he needed to. the biggest thing that shows I lost that fight was you got carted away from the cage. Yep. You didn't even walk back. Yep. So a lot of people clamoring for a rematch. No, is, I don't think is that does. the fight you want to see. No, absolutely not. I don't think he deserves a rematch. You went out there. You got beat. You got finished in the first round. First round finish, man. Not a lot of guys get a rematch after that. No, not a lot of guys at all. I mean, Sean's going to get another fight. He's probably going to get another unranked guy, maybe top 11, 12, something like that. And, but I don't think anything. He don't get anybody in the top 10. Yeah. Also, rumors, maybe a little bit more than rumors at this point, circulating about a possible Masvidal Diaz rematch. Even putting the BMF belt on the line, you interested in that? Number one, there's no such thing as a BMF belt. Dwayne The Rock Johnson does not give out UFC titles. We can get that same belt at Walmart today. <clears throat> so the BMF title, I mean, wouldn't you think the champion is the BMF? Like, I mean, that's my yeah, opinion. Absolutely. So, I mean, let's say it was the BMF title. Let's say that's a real thing. Wouldn't Usman have already took that from him? A great point. What about the match? You interested in seeing it? You didn't. Uh, I mean, you're going to get the exact same thing you got the first time. Yeah. Nate Diaz does not have the physical power to fight Jorge. Jorge's just going to bomb him and bomb him. He's going to bust that face open. All that scar tissue is going to explode open again. Mm -hmm. And you're probably going to have another referee stoppage. Masvidal got the TKO. Um, Doctor ruled that Diaz was unable to continue between the third and fourth rounds. I think a lot of Diaz fans had that close uh, had that fight closer than what it actually was. Oh, I mean, but you got to think about it. Diaz fans; they're Diaz fans. It, yeah. It's it's. I mean, but we all do it with our fighter. We want to see our guy win, and so we'll start changing things and go. Ah, oh, well, maybe it was a little day this way or that way. Yeah. I mean, but. Masvidal was clearly winning that fight. He was the mopping time. the floor with Nate Diaz. He just doesn't have the physical power. I mean, even on the clean shots he landed on Jorge, I mean, it didn't even look like they hurt Yeah, Jorge. Diaz not a power puncher, more volume. Yeah, uh, cool. Let's look back at UFC fight night, Smith versus Rakic. It was, look, man, not a good fight for the underdogs. Uh, betting favorites prevailed in all 10 bouts. Uh, had to be one of the most action-packed prelim cards that we've had in a while with that South American ground karate on full display for submission finishes in the first four fights. That was a lot of fun to watch. Well, the first finish was the Rona. The Rona got another got another victim. I mean, the Rona, I mean, it's pretty tough. I mean, Rona should be getting a title shot soon. The Rona's undefeated thus far. Undefeated. We haven't seen anybody uh, get a victory yet. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Rona. A little later in the episode, how about Sean Brady, man? Uh, so he's from CFFC on the East Coast with uh, Paul Felder and those guys. He's 13 and 0, 3 and 0 in the UFC, locked up a, mountain, a mounted guillotine, put Christian Aguilera to sleep. I think it was a one-handed guillotine as well. He's only 27 years old. You got to expect for Sean Brady to have a crack at someone in the top 15 soon. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, he's a, he's a tough kid. He's Big a talent, motherfucker, kid. dude. I mean, he's, he's going in there. He's finishing fights. He's doing what he needs to do. So, I mean, I think that it's time for a test. Let, let's see. Let's see what he's got. Yeah. Look he at, doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of big names on that resume. Don't have a lot of feathers in the cap. 
So let's go ahead. Let's throw him somebody in the top 15. Let's see what he's got. Yeah, looking at the top uh, 15 to 11, we've got Anthony Pettis, Neil Magny, Robbie Lawler, Nate Diaz, and Jeff Neal. Any of those matchups for Sean Brady catch your eye? Anthony Pettis would be a good one because Anthony Pettis is on the way out. He hasn't done anything in a while, but he's still a big name. That yep. would be a fight. If I was him, I'd be clamoring for that fight. That's a winnable fight. And he could probably win that fight in devastating fashion and kind of kick open the door to say, hey, I'm here. Give me somebody real. Um, I would, If I was him, I'd stay away from Neil Magny at all costs. Oh, man. Magny is the real deal, man. He is trouble for anybody he faces. Uh, absolutely. And he, he Magny does not get the respect he deserves. They need to start putting some respect on his name. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about uh, his matchup with Robbie Lawler a little bit later. But congratulations to Neil Magny. Now, I think he'll start getting some respect putting that name. That was incredible, man. I mean, he also fought a, the former shell of Robbie Lawler. I mean, that's not the same Robbie that we're used to seeing. Hey, man, like like we talked about last week. What did he only land? Well, Robbie Lawler got like 31 punches or something like that? Well, like, it's insane. Yeah, he, well, he landed one-sixth of the amount of punches that Neil Magny, yeah. or one-sixth of the amount of strikes that Neil Magny did, which is insane. But again, you can't control necessarily who they put in front of you. All you can do is control what you do with the person they put in front of you. And yep. Neil Magny did everything he needed to do to uh, erase any doubt that he is the real deal. Um, back to the prelim card, Austin Springer taking on Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres. Dude, on four days notice, you got to love this, huh? Getting called in for your UFC debut, not just on four days notice, but also to take on a guy entering the octagon for the 23rd time. Caceres is one of those guys, again, that's been in the UFC a lot longer than most people remember. He made his debut back in 2011. And look, Nick, get this. With his win Saturday night, Caceres is now riding his very first three-fight win streak in the UFC. 23 fights. This is his first three-fight win streak. His career, he won his first four fights as a pro, 20, uh, 2008 to 2009. And after that, man, Caceres has been really up and down. But Bruce Leroy... He's got a ton of experience. He's just 32 years old. And that's kind of like that time where a lot of guys really start to hit their primes. Be interesting to see if Caceres can stack a couple more dubs on top of this streak. Mm, I've I'm, I'm never really been a big fan of Bruce Leroy. I think he's streaky. He's very Nate Marquardt to me. Mm. You, you never know what he's, who's walking out that tunnel. You don't know what you're going to get. Yep, you're right. Prelims closed out with Maki Patolo. And Impa Kasanganai. Kasanganai making his UFC debut. He entered the fight 7-0. Had a couple scraps previously with Island Fights in Pensacola. Believe it or not, Kasanganai started training martial arts uh, just two years ago, already in the big show. And he got it done over a tough opponent in Maki Patolo. I picked Patolo in that fight. Uh, I, I was really unfamiliar with both these guys, so it was very interesting to watch these guys fight. I really enjoyed the fight. Uh I'm interested to see what's next. I'm what, what he's going to bring to the table next. I mean, how these guys progress is always interesting to me, how these guys can grow in leaps and bounds in very short amount of time. Yeah. If that's him after two years, imagine four or five years. I mean, he's just, he's just starting to scratch the surface of his MMA toolbox. Yeah. Like, this dude is still figuring things out. I mean, two years, he's probably still a blue belt. Yeah. Big things in store, bright future ahead. I believe for input Kasanga and I, to the main card, Nick, you and I both went two and two, two with and our two. picks. Yeah, we, we, we were both batting 500. I like to think I was two, two and one with the no contest to the Rona. You have declared earlier that that was actually a win. So you're, you're the referee. So I have to digress and, and accept your, your ruling here. I mean, I think they should have just laid the debt, let him fight. They were like, hey, he's got Rona. Are you cool? Like, just sign this waiver. Like, spice let, it up let, a little bit. Let's get it done, man. So the rematch between Jan Kutelaba, Magomed Ankalaev called off yet again. Dude, Kutelaba tested positive for the coronavirus for the second time. First positive test was ahead of UFC 252. So the fight was postponed. And a few hours before Saturday's fights were to kick off, news broke out that Kutelaba was positive. What do you think Kutelaba's doing, man? Is he not sanitizing enough? Is he in the fucking Dollar General parking lot, mouth kissing strangers. You caught the Rona twice, man. What are you? I think he's just out there living his best life. And then you got to remember, I'm a, I'm a Rona, Rona non-believer. So, I mean, I think that him, them saying he has Rona and him actually having Rona, uh, the chances are slim to none, but I mean, it is what it is. They're saying he has it, saying he has it twice. I mean, 
I'm I'm more interested to see what are the betting odds on the UFC giving him another chance. That's what I personally want to see. Like, can we risk it on this guy again? Maybe give him a contender series fight. Just like put it like the main event or something. And here, look, man, here I am. I haven't even caught the Rona once yet. So I'm I'm feeling kind of no, left out. Like I need no to be Rona out there here. and start start breathing in the air, you know? Um, I mean, I, I think it's rather hard to 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 catch Rona because I mean I avidly don't want to wear a mask like at all. Like I'm out there living my best life every single day and I haven't caught it. I've not been tested several times well, now. Maybe you could slide up into uh, Kudilaba's DMs and see what he's doing right. I'm going to have to hit him up. Look, you have to assume, especially with how that first fight ended between the two and not even just that, but there was a lot of bad blood leading up to that first fight and then how it ended. You got to think these dudes are chomping at the bits to get back at each other. Yeah, especially now because it keeps getting pushed off. So that fight scrapped, thus the main card uh, relegated down to four fights. And Nick, you and I both picked Ricardo Lamas to win. I think we both underestimated Bill Algeo. Algeo making his UFC debut. Algeo was a more than game opponent for Ricardo Lamas, right? He got close to finishing him in the second round. I, I agree, but I think that's more Ricardo Lamas. That mm. Ricardo Lamas likes to fight dangerously close to that middle edge. Ricardo Lamas never, in my opinion, never fights to the best of his ability. He always fights to the level of his opponent. And I think that's the risky game he plays. And I think that's why he takes some losses that he probably shouldn't take because he, he's like, oh, LSU football. We're going to play to the level of our opponent instead of going out there and just being the best we can do. Yep. And Ricardo Lamas, is, I personally he had a great showing. I think he's a way better fighter than what he fought Saturday night. Yeah, well, turned it on in the third round, got it scored 10-8 across the board, yep. ended up with a unanimous decision. Paul Felder, I think, after the fight, said it best. There was no loser. Lamas lives on, and Algio makes the statement that he needed to make that he is UFC material. Definitely looking forward to seeing him fight again. That's a big statement. We'll find out if that holds up. All right. Ji-Yun Kim and Alexa Grasso went at it next. Our perfect evening. It ended early with Kim. Uh, man. Sometimes I was just stoked she made weight. <laughs> so my plan was that she would make weight and then Grasso was coming up from yep. uh, from straw weight. So I'm thinking you're, you're fighting a girl that's significantly larger. Your records are comparable. Yep. Kim does have an edge in this fight. However, dude, sometimes you go with the dogs and you end up getting bit. And in this one, all the credit to, to Grasso because I think she fought well, but I think she fought a very easy level of competition and Kim. And let me just, so kids today are so spoiled when it comes to video games, right? Like you've got uh, Xbox, PlayStation, new Xbox comes out. It's the same fucking console. Yep. It's a little bit better, right? Graphics are better. It's faster, but it's the same fucking dude. I think you and I are, are the same age, right? When we grew up, it was the, it was the wild west of video games, man. Like you've got the uh, super Nintendo at your house. You go to your boys. He's got the Sega Genesis. Dude down the street's got this Atari fucking snow leopard that, you know, it's got a, a foot pedal that you got to press and it's got six buttons over here and two bumpers. It was the wild fucking. So all of this, what I'm getting at is remember back in the day, you go to your boy's house. He's got this new fighting game and you're like, I don't know what the fuck this controller does. So you, so you just sitting there and you're just mashing a couple buttons like you're playing Mortal Kombat. And you're just dude watching that fight. That's all I was thinking when dude Kim had two things that she threw. She threw the jab and she threw the one, two. It was almost like she didn't want to be there. Like she's just going through the motions like, all right, I'm going to get this done. I just want to get through this. Like it's almost like she had no interest in this fight whatsoever. She was button mashing and all respect to Grasso, but I couldn't imagine an easier fight to go in. You've got a six, eight week camp. You're training BJJ, you're training wrestling, kickboxing, Muay Thai. Uh, and what do you get? You get a person coming in that's going to stand up box with you. And they're doing the two things that you learn on your first boxing class, the jab and the one, two. Again, all respect to Grasso, but that had to be a simple fight for her, right, Nick? Uh, yeah. I mean, she, she, she was able to go out there and enact her game plan with little to no resistance and what she wanted to do. Be a cold day in hell before I pick Kim as an underdog again, man. I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. It was, I was very... She had so much hype surrounding her, but she was missing weight. So I was like, oh, she's having some weight troubles. That That's probably what's affecting how she's fighting here. And then she makes weight with seemingly no trouble and then lays an egg. Yeah. Co-main event, Robbie Lawler. Wow. 
tough go with Neil Magny. I pick Lawler. I thought he would come out and end this one early. He was manhandled. Your better senses prevailed, Nick. You went with Magny. Lawler came in at a plus 195 dog. Still, I don't think anybody expected him to get absolutely manhandled for 15 minutes. Like this guy did. right here did. I knew it was coming. I, I even said it in the show. I said, this is going to be a retirement party for Robbie Lawler. And Neil Magny is going to be showing him the door. He beat this man from start to finish. I even think one of the rounds I had like a 10-8. Like Magny, I think it was the second round. He was just on his back almost the entire yeah. round. I don't think Magny lost a single minute of a round of that fight, right? No, if, if, not at if all. If we scored it by minutes, it would have been 15 to zero. And then there was even moments in the fight where he stood up and he stood in exchange with Robbie. And yeah. Lantnick, he just looked like he was just slick, moving his head, bobbing and weaving, landing at will. Neil Magny looked uber impressive. And I think he put himself in line. We alluded to this earlier in the show. Magny landed over six times the amount of strikes that Robbie Lawler did. Oh, yeah. So that might not seem like a lot, but if we're talking, if we're getting up in numbers and we're saying, all right, well, Robbie landed 30 strikes, that's now, 180 returns from Neil Magny. That's incredible. Yeah. It, oh, it was, it was a beautiful fight for Neil Magny. And you hate to see that happen to a legend like Robbie, but I've heard it said a million times, father time is undefeated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Robbie's just getting up in age. Robbie has been fighting forever seemingly and it might just be time for Robbie to hang it up you know like just head out into the sunlight before one of these young bucks catch him with something nasty and he gets put on a poster yeah and look Magny had four takedowns in that fight to boot we talked about this in last week's episode the main event on this card was made even more significant by John Jones vacating the light heavyweight belt and the winner of Anthony Smith Versus Alexander Rakic, almost certainly getting that number one contender spot. You went with Smith. I picked Rakic. And man, Anthony Smith, it, it just seemed he didn't have an answer for anything that Rakic threw at him. The leg kicks, just striking in general, the takedowns. Smith, I think he's a black belt. Dude, he was completely neutralized on the ground. What do you think went wrong for Anthony Smith in that fight? I think he's too small for light heavyweight. I, I really, really and truly do. I was shocked. I thought even. I think it was the second or I think it was the second round that Smith landed that that crushing right hand. It was clean, just bang. And Rockets didn't even flinch. And I think at 185, no one stands up to that power. I think he's just he's fighting much, much bigger men. And he just doesn't know how to handle that. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's no. just my that's my opinion. I I think if he's gonna stay in the UFC, he's gotta drop back down to 205, I mean, to 185, 205 is not going to be his home. I mean, because as good as, as big and as athletic as Smith is, my brain immediately goes to, okay, so what happens if he would have been fighting somebody like Dominic Reyes? Mm. Like, this wouldn't have happened. Like, he would have seriously hurt Smith. Yeah, Smith said himself that he felt like he was, uh, for one of the first times, just in the wrong weight class and even alluded to the fact that he might be making a way back down to 185. 185, and if possible, I mean, if he could get to 170, he'd mm. be a monster. Mm. Needs to talk to Dolce, get that going. Do you think that this solidifies Rockets as the number one contender at light heavyweight? No. Is he going to get the first crack at the winner of Reyes Blahovich? I mean, he might. I mean, like I said, the, there's no clear king at 205. Yeah. Uh, I think it's not the strongest division right uh, now. You got Tiago Santos up there. Oh, it's one of the weakest divisions, in yeah. my opinion. They have no clear superstar. They have no. Usually in most weight classes, you have tiers. You have the, the top tier guys and you have the tier two guys and you have the three guys and you have everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I think that 205 right now was kind of like a, you got a couple top some tier two guys and then everybody else. What like, about Gus making no, his way back down now that John's gone? It seemed like John was the only real hurdle that Gus had to get in that championship. Do you think? I mean, he, Gus has just looked bad in his last few fights. I mean, he, he was losing at light heavyweight. Then he retired. And you come back and then Verdum just dismantles him, which is no shame in that because Verdum does that to pretty much everybody. Like he's, he's a wizard being that size and being that nimble. I mean, he's amazing. So, I mean, possibly, I mean, Gus is another big, long, creative striker, great wrestling defense, uh, good power, good movement. He can take a shot. Yeah. We know he can take a shot. Yeah. So, I mean, we can see what happens. I mean, I don't think if Gus comes down, I think he immediately is fighting somebody in the top five. I mean, 
that might be Rakish's next fight. I mean, if Gus comes back down, it might be Gustafson. Hey, man, live events are on the rise on the Gulf Coast. It's awesome. Uh, you can check out our website, fightsportfocus.com. We've got six upcoming events in the next six couple of months. And actually, I just added today, uh, IBJJF uh, is coming to Foley, Alabama for an international open, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean, if you want to go to Alabama, well, you can do it. Great to have uh, live events back. Great to have uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. We've got it all listed on the website. So don't forget to give us a bookmark and check back often so you don't miss out on any of the action. This weekend, Southeastern Elite Combat has a show in Crestview, Florida. That's right north of Destin. And next Saturday, September 12th, Atlas Fights returns to Biloxi for another MMA Beach Bash. One of the fighters on that main card is professional bantamweight Joe the Party Penafield. Joe fights out of Fusion Excel, and he's got a tall task ahead as he fights for the Atlas flyweight title against Jason Cephalou. Let's get Joe on the line here and talk about that fight and what we can expect at Atlas next Saturday. I'm here with Joe, the party Penafield. Thank you so much for being here with us. Joe, let's get started, man. How's the quarantine and lockdown been treating you? Man, uh, the quarantine really hasn't changed my routine too much. Uh, besides the fact that I'm not working as a server anymore. I used to work as a server mostly, um, especially downtown, the downtown Orlando area. But I just decided to sit back. Stay at home with the kids. Now they're doing homeschool. So mom and me are taking care of that. Who's helping um, out more with the homework, you or her? Definitely her. I'm like I'm like the drill sergeant. Cause like That's what I'm best at with them. So you got they like a good cop, bad do. cop situation? Exactly. Someone's got to be the bad guy. Sometimes I take that role easy. So. so I watched you on Fight Pass last year. I think it was for Island Fights. Your walkout was wild, definitely living up to the party namesake. Where does all that come from? Uh, well, really, I'm just trying to have fun. Most of the time, I'm I'm trying to get my nerves, like, just relax everything. And for me, just acting like an idiot works out the best. Sometimes I, 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 uh, sometimes I used to run out there when I was younger as an amateur. I used to just sprint out there, like Frankie Edgar used to. I used to like that. But, um... So, but nowadays I've been dancing a lot more. It all depends. I like the whole like entrance thing. If they're a good entrance, I think people remember them. You know what I mean? But yeah. it all depends. So you and your family, y'all are from Ecuador. Were you born there? Were you born here? No, I was born in uh, Guayaquil, Ecuador. It's like a coastal town. The next biggest city next to the capital. So there's two major cities in Ecuador. It's Quito and Guayaquil. And I happen to come from the coastal town. Do you go really back hot, often? Very similar to Florida. Yeah. No, I actually don't go back too often. I'm so uh, stuck on my work here. I got a family here. A lot of family uh, have uh, migrated over here over the years. So I have aunts and uncles here that used to live there, obviously, but they've relocated to the United States. What was that journey like for you and your parents to get here? Do you know? Yeah, I mean, it was a rough journey, um, kind of more emotionally, I think, for my parents than anything else, because um, they're having to leave everything they know uh, behind, kind of. You know, they they really didn't have to, my parents, we got a visa over here, so we didn't have to swim or do the 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 hike over here like some, some people have to. But um, at the same time, they had a, an emotional risk. And, um, you know, like my parents didn't get to see my parents for a long time. Um, you know, they didn't get to see certain fam family members pass away, mm -hmm. you know? So there's a lot of things that go get that's involved in that. But at the same time, you know, they, uh, they were able to chase their American dream and they love living here. They love being American. So you've been fighting since 2011. What got you into MMA? Um, what got me in MMA? 
I guess you would say wrestling. Uh, I used to be a successful high school wrestler when I was a kid. I won my first state title for my uh, for my high school. And then uh, I was always ranked nationally at that level. But I had a couple immigration issues, actually, that came that kind of stopped my whole college wrestling career a little bit. So I only wrestled at the club level for the UCF Wrestling Club at a couple of college opens. And eventually, after doing some assistant wrestling coaching, I would think to myself watching these guys at the bar um, that I could take some of these guys down and beat them up. My wife actually called the owner of a local gym, um, spoke to him, and that's how we got connected. When did you start at Fusion XL? Uh, me and Fusion, it's been a blossoming relationship. I've probably been there for like two years now, although it seemed like it's I've been there forever. I haven't even been there that long. What got Here. you there? But uh, what got me there? Uh, you know what? A guy named Pete Zachary got me there, to tell you the truth. He's kind of like the team manager for some of us. And he takes care of some of his boys. And um, he kind of just led me in this kind of direction over here where he was like, hey, he saw a lot of talent in me. And he told me I should be training with, with his team, his guys. And I was like, all right, well, I always come there to spar because I knew they had some of the toughest sparring in Central Florida or probably Florida. To tell you the truth, we get into a lot of nice, nice sparring uh, uh, fights over there. And uh, so I, I was like, yeah, I'll start coming around more. And I kind of just made it my home from then on. And I've kind of become like a fusion family member. Yeah. Little by little. I know that Phil Rowe trains out of there. Mike Perry used to train there. You got any good stories with Mike? Uh, yeah. Well, you know what, man? Mike's a cool guy. He's a real nice guy, actually, when you get to know him. Obviously, everyone has their pros and their cons or whatever. Everyone, you know, could share a crazy story probably about Mike. But to tell you the truth, Mike's always been nice to me. He's always been really cool, even though I'm not in the UFC or anything, but he still remembers my name. We know each other from the amateur scene. So all respect and love to Mike where uh now he's working out in South Florida. So I just uh You've both yeah, actually fuck. fought with Island fights. Uh your last yeah. fight with Island fights, you ended up losing the decision, the first loss of your professional career. What did you learn from that yeah. fight? Uh I learned not to be hesitant, believe in myself a little bit more, and maybe uh have a better game plan. I kinda I took that fight on two weeks notice. Kind of wanted to wanted to really beat this guy up because he had just beat a teammate of mine, you know. And he also had he also fought for the Ultimate Fighter in Brazil, the the reality TV show. So this guy was a uh, also a decorated black belt with Damian Maya, probably what you know from the UFC. So it's like he was a tough guy, and I wanted to beat him. And maybe I overlooked him a little bit. He was able to outvalue me and out think uh, me in some some aspects tactically in the fight. So I take that uh, as a loss, but at the same time, like you said, I learned a lot from this loss, and uh, I'm not going to repeat the same thing. Um, when I'm in good shape, which is a lot of the time, or in half good shape, I'm, I'm pretty smooth out there, and I'm able to create chaos. Where a lot of guys can't thrive in the chaos, I believe I can do anything. Like uh, I can make it an ugly fight and win somehow, because I mean, my technique may not be perfect, on my feet, but uh, my my timing and my accuracy is so. I land and I also have a good ground game. You know, a lot of guys don't expect me to have a good ground game, but I've worked with tons of guys that are really great on the ground. Well, September twelfth, you and your team riding into Biloxi for Atlas fights. Do you mind doing the traveling? Do you prefer fighting closer to home? I, I like the traveling. I mean, that's a that's a cool aspect of doing this. Not being up in your home state having a fight. I've always have to, have to travel, so it's like it's going to the part of the gig for me. I kind of I fought in, in five fights. I fought New Jersey, uh, Georgia. Uh, I fought obviously in Biloxi before for Atlas fights. So um, I've always been out of, out of the. I fought one time in Orlando. The rest have always been out of state or out of the city, like in Tampa. This fight for Atlas, you're going to be taking on Jason Cephalou for the Atlas flyweight title. We talked about this 
earlier, but what do you know about yeah. Jason and what do you think he's going to bring to this fight? before, I think he's going to bring a lot to the fight. I just think I'm really that that much better than a lot of people. A lot of confidence and a lot of cockiness, but um, I also know what I, like, I, I just know where I'm at, and I know that if he messes up or if he's not the type of guy that I think he could be, then he's going to be in for a long night. I'll, I'll be dishing out a lot of punishment, especially if he gets stuck in that position. You know what I mean? I'm not one to, to shy away from from hurting another person. I don't mean to like sound like cynical or anything like that. I'm just like I'll I'll end the fight either uh, the easiest way I see. If he's knocked off the ground, then I'm taking his neck. If he's starting to look crappy on his feet, then I'm whacking his head with a kick. Well what would winning the Atlas Fights flyweight title mean to you? It would mean a lot to me because it would, it would add a another gem to my uh to my career. That um, right now I'm just trying to get on the street, defeat as many guys as possible, and have uh, big guys get get a look on me. You know, fight as many times on fight pass as possible, and maybe Daniel White will see a couple of these wins, and maybe give me a shot at the contenders or or just anyone Bellator or somebody give me a shot at a bigger show where I can cause some mayhem, sell some tickets, and have some fun. Let me ask you, what's the biggest thing that martial arts, being a fighter, what's the biggest thing that it's given you? You know what? It's given me a good tr- a driver and a passion for life. You know, before I started doing this, I would be working a regular nine-to-five job. I was serving or something like that at a restaurant. And I was having a lot of fun, but it, uh, I wasn't ever feeling fulfilled in a way uh, as much as I feel fulfilled now as a human being. So I have my kids now, I have uh, my wife, I got a, a career, like a career, a passion that I do besides, you know, um, so I don't know, it just gives me something to live for in a way, you know what I mean? I don't, it, it sounds cliche, but it's pretty much what I, I love the most doing, it's like my first love, competition. Probably might be the first thing I ever did, but I love competition, it's really my girl. Well, here's the kicker, Joe. Has it taken uh, anything away? Has it taken anything away? It's definitely taken. It's taken a lot of. You know, sometimes I'm not able to uh, do things that I want to do. Sometimes, like uh, uh, at a young age, I would have to not be able to go hang out with friends because I'm certain I'm trying to do a certain thing. Yeah, what I'm saying is like I can't go out and have drinks on the weekends or meet up with my friends while they're at the pool with the kids. They're all tossing up burgers. Sometimes I can't do that because it's like uh, uh, it gets in uh, in the way of me not trying to be disciplined a little bit. You know, I, I drink my beers and everything, but it's just hard to be disciplined when you're around other people that are in the same bowl. You know, they have a regular life. They don't they don't care about running four miles six just to keep that average. You know what I mean? It's, it's a different thing. So sometimes you have to, you know, and you end up hanging out at the gym a lot, and that that's kind of become my social life gym, the kids, and uh, a couple of my close friends that I do have time for that we see each other every once in a while. All right. Joe, the party panophil fighting at Atlas Fights, Biloxi MMA Beach Bash on Saturday, September 12th. Joe, this is your time. Anyone that you'd like to shout out or thank? Yeah, I wanted to shout out Fusion XL and um, everyone in the Orlando, Central Florida area for always giving me much love. I'll be back with the belt, uh, ready to kick some ass. Thank you so much, Joe. We'll be seeing you in a few weeks at Atlas Fights in Biloxi. You and your team have a safe trip in. Looking ahead to this Saturday, September 5th, UFC is at the Apex Center for UFC Fight Night, Overeem versus Sakai. Prelims begin at 5 and the main card kicks off at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. Let's look at each of the main card matchups coming up this Saturday and we'll get in some picks. First up on the main card, Tiago Moises versus Jalen the Tarantula Turner. Moises making his fifth UFC appearance by way of the Contender Series 2-2 two and two. In the UFC, he's beaten Kurt Hollibaugh most recently. 
Michael Johnson, 13 and four. In those four defeats, he's yet to be finished. Much like Moises, Jalen Turner making his fifth walk to the octagon, got his shot through the contender series. Very well matched fight here. Uh, Turner fought Pensacola's Max Mustaki in that matchup as well. Turner, two and two in the UFC. Again, a very well matched bout. Uh, both of these guys faced very tough competition from their debuts. Moises, Moises debuted against Benel uh, Dariush and Turner debuted against Vicente Luque. I'm picking Moises by KO, TKO. Nick? I'm going to go Moises as well. Next up, Brian Kelleher versus Kevin Natividad. Kelleher was originally scheduled to face Ricky Simone in this one, but one of Simone's cornermen tested positive for... Rona. The Rona. And Kevin Natividad got the short notice call up. Natividad fighting out of Tempe, Arizona, making his UFC debut after winning four straight with LFA. Kelleher enters the fight as the biggest favorite on an exceptionally well-matched card. Kelleher debuted at UFC 252 with a performance of the night guillotine win over Lurie Alcantara. But since he's gone four and four, that being said, I think Keller has a serious edge in experience. And if there's an upset to be had on this card, I don't think we'll see it here. Keller has a great guillotine. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him pull this out, uh, pull out that guillotine on Saturday. I'm going with Keller by submission. Not Tivy Dodd. Oh, we've got our first pick for the dogs. Oh, yeah. I think I think he's going to beat him, man. I, I think he's got a lot more to prove. I think Keller... I think he's a little lazy at times, and I think that Nazi Vidado will catch him. I learned my lesson from last week. I'm pretty sure all of my picks this week are for the favorites. I took the lazy way out. All right, I, all right. Dude, I need to get over 500. Um, next up, what looks to be a pick we've got Michelle Pereira taking on Zalim Imadayev. After a promising 8-0 start, Zalim Imadayev has fallen short in his first two with the UFC. It was a majority decision loss to Max Griffin back at UFC 236. Most recently, a second round KO to Danny Roberts Pereira, making his way to the octagon for the fourth time after a performance of the, of the night flying knee knockout to Danny Roberts and his UFC debut in May of last year. Pereira has lost his last two. Okay, so there's the unanimous decision to Tristan Connolly last September. If you remember that fight, Pereira came out looking great. Capillera, like all this spinning and swinging around in the ring, had uh, Connolly hurt in the first round. I think he even tried to like do a, okay, so Connolly's on the ground and Pereira tried to do like a backflip, which I guess he would have heel stomped him. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere in his body for damage. And Pereira wore himself out. Connolly came out in the a second of, round. A lot of flash for the sake of flash. Yeah. You know what I think about with uh, Capiera? I don't know if you ever watched Bob's Burgers, like the, you know, nope. the adult cartoon. So uh, Bob, uh, one of his kids are like training with a Capiera guy and he goes over there like talking shit like this isn't fighting. This is just and the Capiera dude like beats his ass. But it's so funny because like the whole time he's swinging around. The Capoeira reminds me of Zoolander when they're going, they're breakdance fighting. Yeah. So, so this guy, like every, uh, strike he throws, like he'll, he'll swing, he'd swing his head around and like hit him with his uh, ponytail and he'd be like, Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> it was, so when I think Caviera, that's, that's what I think. Uh, so Connolly came out second round, uh, a lot more energy ended up winning the unanimous decision in the next fight for Pereira, uh, beating the hell out of Diego Sanchez last February. If you remember this fight, um, it, was, it was in the third round, Sanchez down big time on the cards and uh, Pereira hit him with an illegal knee. And it wasn't even a close one. Like sometimes mm -hmm. you got a guy who's uh, just lifting that hand up and maybe it goes back down, you give him the knee. No, I think uh, Sanchez was like on his ass and Pereira gave him the knee. Sanchez made the veteran decision, told the doctor he couldn't continue, got the DQ win. Um, both of these fighters trying to avoid a three fight skid. This might be a scrap for survival with the winner making their best case. 1000%. It's a scrap for survival. I'm going to go Pereira. 
Yeah, I've got Pereira. I think he's gonna. Well. I think he's going to minimize those mistakes. He's going to conserve that energy for when he needs it. I don't think you're going to see a lot of useless flash in this one. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that it's. I got it on good authority. There's probably not going to be another illegal knee. Uh, I don't think he's going to get the job done. Next fight scrapped. Cesare Eubanks was scheduled to take on Carol Rosa. Rosa hospitalized today from her weight cut. Eubanks is scheduled to fight Julia Avila, the Raging Panda, uh, next Saturday. Ovens St. Peru, uh, whoa, what? Ovens St. Peru, there we go, versus Alonzo Menafield in the co-main event. This fight was supposed to happen on August 22nd, but was postponed due to St. Peru testing positive for the Rona. OSP, been in the UFC since 2013 by way of strike force. Look. We all know St. Prue. We know that Von Flu choke, but you said it earlier, Nick. Father Time catches up with us all. OSP, he's lost uh, four out of his last six. But, I mean, look, to Alir Latifi, Dominic Reyes, Nikita Krilov, and Ben Rothwell. Menafield's 9-1 and one through the Contender Series. Menafield's 2-1 and one in the UFC. And he and St. Prue are on completely opposite trajectories in their career. I think Menafield rebounds big from his first loss, and he gets the win here. Uh, I originally had picked Menafield when we first talked about this fight, but I'm going to go ahead and change on that one. Uh, just watching some things this week from his Instagram and his Snapchat. I think that OSP looks in phenomenal shape, and I think that OSP knows it's now or never to make a run, and I think OSP gets the job done in a big way. In the main event, K1 Pride Strike Force UFC legend. Alistair Overeem taking on an up-and-comer in Augusto Sakai. I think this is a, that's a completely different Overeem than, than what you're talking about. This is the uh, this is the no TRT Overeem. So agreed. However, since 2014, Overeem nine and four in the last six years, nine and four. Look, he's got wins over in that span: Stefan Struve, Roy Nelson, JDS, Arlovsky, Mark Hunt, Fabricio Verdum. Pavlich, Alexi Olenek, Walt Harris. Uh, not a lot of world beaters in there outside of Mauricio Verdum. Uh, so I'm personally, I don't think Overeem is going to get this done. I think this uh, Sakai, I think this young boy is going to get it done. I think he's going to have a coming out party on Overeem. I think especially Overeem does not fight well against big punchers because mm-hmm. he just can't take it anymore, man. Like that chin has been punched so many times. Like he fought K1 forever, fought Pride forever, fought Strike Force forever. He's been in the UFC forever. The UFC is the only belt he doesn't have in his collection. And I'd bet money today he will never touch UFC gold, not at the heavyweight division. I'd have to agree. I mean, he's not, I mean, he's not going to take out Stipe. I'd have to agree there. Overeem, certainly on the back end of his career, but he's still fighting and often beating absolute monsters in the UFC heavyweight division. The only losses that he's had since 2014 to Stipe, Francis Ngannou, Curtis Blades, and Rosenstreak. I mean, the people who he's beaten. That short list of his losses, if that list of opponents doesn't scream UFC Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, I, I don't know what does. Uh, facing Augusto Sakai, who will be entering the octagon for the fifth time and outside of a split decision loss to Czech Congo at Bellator 179, Sakai is unbeaten in a nine-year career. He has a notable UFC victory over Chase Sherman, Andre Arlovsky, most recently Blagoj Ivanov. Here's the thing, though, Nick. This will be Sakai's first headliner with the UFC and Overeem's fourth in a row. So it will be interesting to see how Sakai performs in championship rounds if the fight extends that long. I, I agree, but also like just even like looking at Twitter right now while we're recording, Overeem's head is not in the game. He's here over here tweeting about, I'd love to fight John Jones at heavyweight. I think that would be the best fight for me. So he's not even worried about Manafield. And I think that's a big mistake he's making looking forward to or the Sakai. future. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Sakai, I'm sorry. Uh, looking looking past Sakai, like this is a horrible idea. Like you can't look past anyone, especially a heavy handed person like Sakai. Yeah, um, I think that Overeem's got the experience and I've got him getting the win. Look. 
going back to the early to mid 2000s, Overeem, uh, Andre Arlovsky, some of the first guys that I started really getting into and were, you know, my favorites. Love me some Arlovsky back mm-hmm. in the day. Ar- Dude, Arlovsky was my number one from like probably 2006 to 2011 or something uh, through affliction and like all that stuff. Um, you know, but Arlovsky doesn't have what he used to. Nobody's going to argue that that chin gone. Oh, and, absolutely not. And look, Sakai couldn't knock out Arlovsky back in April of last year, they, they went the distance. So I don't expect him to knock out over. If you can't get it, if you can't get the KO against Arlovsky, I don't think you knock out over him. I think their chins are about the same. That's, that's what I'm saying. If you go the distance with one, I don't know that you have any inclination. Different to knock style, out the different style, different fighter. Arlovsky moves a lot more and he moves a lot better than over him. In my opinion, you're going with Sakai. Going with Sakai. I've got over by decision. Nick, that about does it for us, man. Third episode. Of the fight well, sport the focus one thing we cannot forget about before we sign off is on the local level. I like to recognize local athletes at all levels, and I'd like to recognize long my longtime mentor, Rich Clemeni's kids, uh, Richie Clemeni, the wor- and Cash Clemeni. The world rankings came out for wrestling, and Richie Clemeni finished second in the rankings, and respectively to his little brother finishing third in the world rankings right now. These two guys are absolute animals. Rich is doing great things over at Clemente's Gladiators Academy with the Young Kids Wrestling Program. Yeah, and an absolute legend, uh, not just the local scene, but I mean, nationally, internationally, oh, yeah. everything that he's done here. Rich, no love, Clemente. The godfather of MMA in the state of Louisiana, for sure. Absolutely. Look, guys, don't forget to follow us on all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Fight Sport Focus and visit our website, fightsportfocus.com. New episodes are dropping every Friday, so subscribe to and share this podcast on Anchor.fm, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Jeffrey Hoffman, and this is Nicholas Sherlock. Thank you so much for listening. See you guys later. Thank you.